Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. Well, hello, everyone. I hope you're staying at least a little bit sane during this quarantine. Many of us are still staying at home. And today, I get the pleasure of talking to Misty Lynch. Misty is a certified financial planner. She is a behavioral financial advisor, a certified life and business coach, and financial advisor at Beck Bode. She helps people handle their money with confidence for the betterment of their life, family, and their business. Misty is also a personal finance expert and a resource for media outlets. That's actually how I discovered her work because I read some of her work. She has been featured in the New York Times, CNBC, CNN, Investopedia, Real Simple, one of my favorites, uh, Student Loan Hero, and many others. U.S. News and World Report named her one of the nine women in finance to follow, which I highly recommend you do. And it's because she says, sometimes you need life advice, not just financial advice. So welcome to the effort, Misty. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Are you staying sane? I am staying sane. I mean, I've added a homeschool teacher to the list of of credentials lately, but other than that, things have, I can't complain. I can't. You know, I've been able to push that off. Daryl has a 12 year old. And so I do not see him Monday, Wednesday, Friday, although this is the last week of school. Oh. And no one was more excited than us. Yeah, twelve-year-old. Yeah. There's a like, lot of lot of emails and a lot of logins and stuff, but we're well, we're getting by. <laughs> I cracked up because they were like, "Do you want to enroll your child in virtual summer school?" No, not really. No, no absolutely <laughs> not. So, I always like to tell people how I meet our guests, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be really honest with everyone today. Totally stalked her on Twitter. I loved. I had read things that she'd been featured in. I thought kind of like her. And then I was watching her on, you know, FinTwit and I thought, hmm, she might be one of my people. So I reached out, invited her to a Boston event that we had and she took a chance on me and attended and I was, we got to chat and we're here today. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I usually love networking in person. I'll admit that that's probably one of the things that's been tough about this is it's, it's fun to meet new people, advisors in an area. I feel like we learned so much from each other. And I think that it's just a lot of fun. So yeah, when you reached out, it was great to just know there was a different group out there that's talking about money, talking about how it impacts women and, and really everyone. And so definitely grateful that you, you know, reached out to me to have a networking event because yeah, the calendar has been looking a little crazy as far as meeting new people's concerns. So. I know. And it's really hard being the person who actually puts those together because oh, one, you're having to go out and like, hi, you don't know me, but I really want to, to help you. Yeah. Then I know they always think, who's that crazy broad? But then it's like, hey, it's on Zoom. Like people aren't Zoomed out. I know. Yeah. I know. And, uh, and I, so I'm just super grateful that you took a chance and we had a really great meeting for the Boston region. So I appreciate that so much. I would love for you to talk about your journey, how in, in financial planning, how, you know, what led you to this work that you're doing today? Yeah. So I graduated college in 2002. And so there weren't really a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of jobs out there. I really wasn't quite sure. I thought I would maybe go to law school, but I, I decided not to. 
And so living in Connecticut, I got a job at an insurance company, <laughs> which because we, we had a lot of insurance companies and I was looking to, you know, get started somewhere in finance, but I wasn't quite sure where I'd land. Um, I was able to take courses for insurance without having a firm or without having a job. And so I looked at my resume of bartender, waitress, political science degree. And so um, I decided to go study for a life and health insurance license and see how it went. And I really did like that. And I met somebody during that class who said, like, you don't have a job, but you're just here anyway to learn about it. Like, why don't you come meet the people at my firm? And so I kind of was able to, um, yeah, get started in the in the field that way. But as soon as I started to learn a little bit about investing, I was gone. <laughs> like that was, to me, it made so much sense um, to learn how money works instead of most of my family works hard for money and keeps working and makes money, spends money, but it never worked for them. Like it was never invested necessarily. My father's self-employed, so no, no retirement plan really, just work. And mm -hmm. so once I started learning about that, it just was kind of like peeling the layers of an onion and then getting a CFP designation. I really just couldn't learn enough about this topic and how it impacts people. Yeah. And I have to tell you one, I appreciate the props to starting off in insurance because I tell you, I went, it was so funny. I went to risk Alize last year. Mm -hmm. It was held in Boston yeah. and I walked around with my shirt and it says, I love insurance. It's a big black shirt. It says, I love insurance. And people always laugh and they're like, ooh, Cheryl's on the deep, you know, dark side. And, and Aaron Klein and all of them, they laugh. But I always tell them, as much as I love financial planning, everyone dies. And it was the easiest way for a lot of times to get into from a risk yeah. management standpoint. Because uh, I also, too, hold my insurance license. And mm -hmm. although I haven't done active planning, I appreciate the work that you do because, you know, the holistic part and the fiduciary responsibility yeah. that comes with being a CFP, I have a lot of respect for that. And I think that many of you do believe in the, in honor, the risk management part of what insurance oh, does. Sure. I right? mean, you could throw money into an investment. Someone could say, what should I do with this extra thousand dollars? Where should I invest it? And it's like, let's step back. What if something happens to you? You know, mm -hmm. like maybe an insurance policy plus your, maybe all of it has to make sense together because there is no right answer necessarily, but you have to take a look at, okay, what risk can we not handle on our own? And, yeah. you know, and I think that that it's such a huge part of it. So yeah, I was, you know, I think I like, I like talking about insurance. I like talking about investments, but it was just like, how can I learn as much about all of these different areas so that I can have a better conversation. And I certainly appreciate that. I hope you know that because I think a lot of times people in the insurance world are looked upon as just peddling products and there yeah. really is a lot more to the risk side of it. Mm -hmm. And so I so appreciate when CFP step up and say, no, actually yeah. I do see the value in what that is and what that entails. And I will also tell you, I don't know if you know this, I was a life insurance underwriter for an Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, for 12 mm -hmm. years. And I used to tease people. I'm like, they never send the checks back. So they never come back and go, well, I don't need this 100000 I'm good. It, yeah. It, I'm good. Oh, they no. keep all of it, you yeah. know. And so I think that that's great. I would like for you to talk about what are some of your passions in financial planning today? And not only, you know, what you've been doing up until today, but then let's maybe even relate that to what happens after pandemic, when people yeah. start commingling again, when so, that happens. I think one of, and... I, you know, I've written a bit about um, 
you know, financial literacy. And I think it's important, but I also have started to now kind of dive into the way we are thinking about money and how that has such an important role. And we kind of glaze over the thoughts about money and go straight to, okay, here is your situation. Here is the solution. And we're always problem solving where I think there's a lot of times in the middle where people don't feel like they have enough money or they don't feel like they deserve this inherit or they have these emotions around it. And I think a lot of the industry just goes right past that to the solution. So I think one of the things even post pandemic that I want to do with my clients is see where their head's at and what they're thinking, because there's a lot of job loss. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of people who feel guilty that they're fine and that they're not struggling. And does that make them bad? And so I think we need to have a conversation more about your specific needs for money. What, how do you feel when you make an improvement to your house? Is that a good feeling or is that a, we wasted money? Like you kind of have to tie in that, that whole part of how you're talking to yourself and how you're spending your money and make sure it lines up with the life that you want. And so then if you say, you know what, I felt terrified that I was going to lose my job and I have, you know, $10,000 in savings or 20,000. Did you feel comfortable with that? No, it wasn't enough. Okay. Then maybe that person's plan might be to have more. Maybe some people feel safe and said, you know what, maybe it's time to invest. So it's really going to be different for everybody, but we have to kind of get to the bottom of like, there's no right answer for X amount of dollars. Like you really have to know what that person's going to do because then if they really agree with you and they feel like they're making good choices, they'll stick to it instead of just putting the financial plan aside and doing what they were intending to do in the first place. Right. And I think about as we go through this whole, you know, having to stay home and a lot of people being furloughed, uh, laid off, losing jobs, oh, yeah. all the whole nine, you know, the nest egg, the conversation about the nest egg that we have had repeatedly yeah. with clients, friends, mm -hmm. Facebook acquaintances, you know, put your nest egg together. Oh, I've yeah. never heard more people step up and say, ooh, glad I had that nest egg. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so when something like this happened, it was a very interesting thing that happened. First time I would say in my adult life, I'm almost yeah. 50, that when March 11th was the last day, Daryl and I had been in Indianapolis. We drove home to St. Louis. We walked in our doors. And I don't even think at that moment did we realize we would still be here 60 days later, that we wouldn't be leaving. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, when we started to realize by about 10 days in, we've got a nest, we're fine. And you do go. And I'm so happy you talked about the guilt mm -hmm. because I look at friends who were not ready and prepared. Yeah. And we were sort of that matriarch, patriarch of our friends and family where we yeah. they leaned on us very heavily to, mm -hmm. to sort of, uh, you know, to, to help save the day, if you will. So I'm so grateful that you're thinking mm -hmm. about what happens after that and really having those strengths of, uh, the depth of the conversation about the mindset part. Yep. Because I think that's going to be a really big one is asking everybody, how did you feel during this? Not, not how did you feel about being depressed because you're home for, you know, yeah. transparently for two months and you can't see friends and family. How did you feel about your money? Mm -hmm. What that's were you proud of? What were you yeah. so happy you had? What, what do you wish you did a year before, you know, yeah. and I think in, and that's when you can talk about things like estate planning, insurance, all the things when people get back to normal and they're back to working and feeling like 
maybe a little bit less of that, I need to just hold my position and not do anything, then I think, yeah, they might be more open to those conversations with advisors to say like, okay, do you want to look at the big picture? Maybe you weren't sure if you have enough money to retire in 10 years, but if we did a plan, we could kind of take a look at that and see they might be ready. This might have shaken some people into like, okay, it's not just the stock market's climbing, my 401k looks great, I'll be fine. They might want to see that in a more, um, you know, a more concrete or in a more personalized, you know, position. Because I know some of my clients who did plans before this happened, they're not freaking out. Yeah. They're not calling. We weren't. They're calling me to make sure I'm okay. <laughs> like, but they really feel that, okay, like I know that I had X, you know, three months of savings, six months of savings. I know that, um, you know, we did Monte Carlo and we could have a downturn and have terrible years in the market and, and recover by the time we need it. So I feel like there's a little bit of, um, I think they might be patting themselves on the back to be honest, because they did, they did a, you know, they did a good thing for their, for their minds, you know, yeah. to say, I've thought about this. We're not being thrown into this panic mode where we're just feeling really guilty that we didn't do enough, but maybe, maybe they're okay too, but it doesn't feel so, so good. <laughs> right. And you know, I have to tell I have a, I have a daughter that is 20, going to be 26 mm -hmm. and she has been told for years about the nesting, put your egg mm -hmm. away, put your, you know, put money away. And so when this all happened, although she's been one of the essential workers, so she works at a really uh, upscale uh, convenience store here mm -hmm. in, in Baloo, she uh, has been working and she's been fine, but she also had about mm, just a little, just very shy under $6,000 in savings for a 26 year old kid. It was, I was really proud of her. I was like, that's right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's the things, you know, Yeah. and it, it doesn't matter that, you know, it takes a while. I think, you know, I've been talking about is emergency planning. I think I had a blog post in like 2018 or something. And it's like, it, it's not elitist or special to have one. It takes time and you can start really small and build it up. And then hopefully if you get to the point where you need it, it's there, you know, but it's, um, it's not something that you just, you know, have to be rich to have. And it's not insensitive, I think, to still talk about having some sort of nest egg. And if she has 6,000 saved up and still working, maybe she doesn't have to touch it, but she might just sleep a little bit better knowing she like- She said that's exactly that's what she said. That money's She's there. Six, and it's so, there. Her big thing yeah. was as long as I can take care of my car because our car, you know, we don't have really good public transportation. How she gets to work. Yeah. How she gets to work. So in her mindset, and it came back to sort of financial literacy, really, because she had been- taught from very young about putting money away, putting money. Away. Yeah. So I was really proud of her as her mom to sit back because again, you know, we were expecting to kind of have to step in mm -hmm. and my kids were good. They yeah. were solid. My son, you know, is 31 and has a wife that stays home and three kids and he was an essential worker and he was working and his house is getting paid. And I think that's part of it. What do you think when we talk about financial literacy, what is missing today when it comes to talking about money? I feel like there's still unsaid conversations when it comes to literacy. And I know you write and talk a lot about yeah. that. So I didn't exactly have my, my parents. Um, they, you know, like I said, they were business owners. My father, my grandfather passed away when he was like 57. So my father never planned to be 74 and working. It, he didn't, he just figured, you know, you only, he was basically, 
YOLO before people said that and they bought cars and they, they spent money and they, you know, when the business was not doing well, we, you know, lived on a very little. Um, so there was never this concept of saving. So I think I was almost the polar opposite of getting that lesson. I, my lesson basically was, I don't want this for my family when I have one someday. I want to have, you know, I want to save money. I want to invest money. I want to decide if I stop working at some point in the future. And so I think the literacy part of it, a lot of us are just quick to say, they should teach this in schools. Or, you know what, this is, you know, it's too complicated. Like your brain, it, it just comes up with reasons to stay exactly where you are. Where my motivation was, okay, I've learned, I've learned other things that I had no clue about before. Like, what's one more? Like, you know, like you're not born knowing how to play a guitar or, you know, read a novel, but you learn it. And so finances just to me seemed like one more thing to learn. And I couldn't wait for schools to teach it to my children. Like I have to teach them now the difference. Like, you know, they even know now if an, a Netflix movie or something or something on TV, if it's on the cable, if it's free or rent or buy. And they, my five-year-old could tell the difference because I don't pretend that money is not you know, the scary thing to talk about. It's very, it's pretty much impacts every decision we make. So I think, yeah, with financial literacy, it's like, you can't always look for that external reason to blame for not knowing stuff. Maybe you just find a way to learn it that works for you or people who you like to follow or some people, even, you know, even some people that are, you could follow on Instagram that are talking about what's going on right now. And maybe they're funny about it or, you know, entertaining, like whatever it takes, you know, just kind of find what speaks to you and then just, you know, yeah, learn, learn what you can instead of just hoping for the best. I think that's really important because I do think, I do hear a lot of people in financial services, especially financial planning, talking about going back and into um, obviously colleges, they talk up, you know, getting them to talk about money, but going back and into the high school, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband said something about six or seven months ago that really hit me and I, I, I'm a tend to be a marinator and it just kept mm-hmm. sitting there. And that is we were talking, and it's really been, especially since he's been home having to teach, like he basically looked at his 12 year old and said, hi, don't care about core math. You're going to carry the one and we're just going to go. You know, I'm not, <laughs> that's just the way it's going to roll yeah. around this house. And, you know, um, one of the things that Daryl said though, was, you know, we talk about this idea of going back and into the high schools to teach Mm -hmm. young people money. And I think that's really profound. Mm -hmm. I was grateful that I I took an accounting class, my senior year props to that Mm -hmm. teacher. Uh, But, you know, he said, think about the parents at home that can't help the student with that homework or with that Mm -hmm. concept. He says, I feel like although teaching the students is important, he says, I think teaching the families is importanter and more important. I agree. You know? I think, you know, and I think some of the teachers, I mean, I, I, God bless the teachers. I mean, but you know, my sister's a professor. She didn't, she didn't necessarily know what her 403B was yeah. or anything like that. She's brilliant, but not everybody learns about money to be able to teach it, especially people who have to get a master's degree and are probably saddled with some student loan debt and some money concerns of their own. Yeah. So I do think like, yeah, the business course. I think if it's introduced, like even just the basics could be so powerful. But I mean, I think that's something that I can do. Um, you know, I think it's great. When I was in sixth grade, we did a stock market competition and I 
picked Coca-Cola because I thought Fruitopia was going to be the biggest, hottest drink <laughs> on the planet. And I didn't win the competition, but I was like, this stuff is cool. Like, yeah. I like this. Last we ever talked about it in school or anything like that, but that was like one math lesson that I can still remember. And I can't even talk about like how many classes. Fruitopia. I, I love it. But yeah. With that Fruitopia, I was like, this is, who doesn't want this? <laughs> okay. I was about, okay. So I'm 10 years older than you and I was all about clearly Canadian because I thought oh, yeah. for sure yeah, no. that was going to be the drink. That is, I mean, look at all the seltzers now, <laughs> the hard seltzers. You weren't wrong. You weren't wrong, but. I just didn't go to alcoholic beverage. Yes. <laughs> right. But you know, my father was a part of JA and I think JA is one of those forgotten elements of things. He, he taught uh, a stock market class, much like what you just talked about. Yeah. And I remembered back then, you know, getting the paper and turning the paper and following where your stock was yeah. and writing down and looking what that was. I think that those are really valuable opportunities that they you are. had, I had, that we just don't have enough of today. That, exactly. And, and I think that once people maybe feel more confident about money on their own, they won't be so so, you know, you know, reluctant to talk about it with their kids or their families. I mean, people after this pandemic might have to talk to their parents about money and their children about money, but this might make people think like, okay, I don't know, you know, I need to figure out some of the things I don't know and, you know, make some moves. All of a sudden conversations in our household, at least with the 12 year old has been like, hi, there are no actual you know, hamburgers at the store because we were running through a meat shortage in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, so we're taking meatless Monday to Tuesdays, maybe mm -hmm. even Wednesdays, and we'll find other things. And to watch the astonishment, but talking openly about, well, you know, because they up the price on a lot of things. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to go back just because I can't afford it. This man should buy it. I'm not going to go and spend money on doing that. Just, uh, you know, maybe hamburgers that used to be here in the Midwest four or five bucks and all of a sudden they're nine and ten dollars i'm like yeah we're not getting them yeah values are changing i think you yeah. could say okay i'll spend that but maybe if it's you know his birthday then it's like okay the nine dollar burgers are what we're gonna have it's different than just being right. consuming and not thinking about like how much we spend like we usually spend the same amount at the grocery store every single week and it was almost like why how yeah. often do we even look at what's in our pantry like now we're starting to do those things paying a little more attention yeah. And it's like, I think it's a good time for people to even look at their budget and say like, okay, what did you totally, I would love to go, you know, get, get my hair done or, or do something like that. That's going to, you know, that appointment will be booked when, when they can, but there's a few things that I haven't really missed at all, you know, and it's yeah. like, okay, now you can really look at where there is room in your budget to, you know, invest or save. And it might be an easier time to take a look at it. Cause normally I would have my clients look back at their spending like if I did this in February and said like, look back at your spending in December and January, and they would just feel like horrible. Yeah. Now you could say, look at your spending in February. What were you spending money on there? And they're just going to feel like proud of that coffee that they had and <laughs> okay with that. But they might say, you know what? Like maybe I don't need to spend $40 a week, um, you know, yeah. on convenience or whatever. And, and they might be able to look at it with like a little bit of a more kinder objective glare than like... Oh, I can't believe I spent. And I think people are. who with money or not with money are looking back going, I can't believe. One of the things that we actually took a mental note of was how much money we spent on eating out. 
Yeah. I mean, we really did. Uh, we, we'd just be like, oh, well, just run down because it's just the two of us is how we justify it. Well, there's just two of us. Now that we don't do it at all, I mm -hmm. mean, Daryl was saying the other day, he's like, I think we saved like 550 bucks last month not eating out. And I was like, yeah, what? the food, the restaurants. And I think that's something that's been pretty universal. And then I think what's nice is now people, if their favorite place is doing curbside takeout or whatever, they're like, okay, once a week, I'm going to go, you know, support this local yeah. business that I really want back. And then it's like, okay, then the next time, you know, maybe we shop different and spend different or spend more locally. I don't know. The but money became much more intentional is what you just, I heard. Did. It's much yeah. more intentional is what you're doing. So what do you think financial planners should be preparing for like after this quarantine or after when it comes to the mindset part of it? Because I do think people are going to be different. We're not going back to the old ways that we used to yeah. be. Yeah, I think that they should be, if they've set up a virtual practice and they've been able to reach people, I think that they should give people options. And instead of just throwing the doors back open and saying, hey, we're open for business, they should say like, how do you feel with this? Are you looking to, you know, you want to make sure you're not going out, of the, you know, right outside spending all the money, like booking the vacation. There's some people that might be thinking like, I need to get back to my normal life. There might be some people who are still scared or who got sick, you know? And so you might talk to them about like, how did, how did this impact you? What went through your mind, you know, like about really anything. And I think you have to be supportive if somebody is frightened or now saying, I need to get my health, you know, I need to spend some more money, you know, getting back to the gym or, or buying healthy food. I want to feel better. I want to change my life in a certain way and just figure out a way to support that. It's not I the time that. to scold people and say, you need to be saving X amount of dollars, you know, or, you know, if they're out of work and they need to touch their retirement plans, it's not a, no, you can never do that. It's okay. This is, how are we going to, once you return back on, you know, your feet, how are we going to make sure that we go ahead and like start those good habits back up again? Because some people might've had to do things that they're embarrassed about, like use their savings. Some people uh, feel terrible that they maybe had to take a loan from their 401k. All these things that people might have had to do to keep the wheels from falling off. Like, I think it's not a time to really shame anybody for that. Just look at the circumstances and then say like, okay, what's the result you want, you know, a year from now, five years from now, and just kind of help them, help them get there. But I think that it, it's, it's a good time to, to use some of the, you know, some kindness and less judgment and just make sure that their clients are are okay, you know, because if they're back with them, then they got through it. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, there could be some fear. What if this happens again? What if it's in the fall? What if two years from now, who knows? And so I think that there's some big, some big things that are probably going through people's minds as they're home with their thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I like that idea of honoring their, their, you know, their decisions and, okay. and, and letting them not feel bad about them because they yeah. already feel bad. Like yeah, anybody, Anybody yeah. who's had to call and start that 401k loan process or yeah. distribution already feels bad. Yeah, they feel bad enough. So what's the yeah. rules? What's the law? Can we maybe return, you know, maybe look at the CARES Act, looked at ways to, you know, if you're able to, you know, put that back in the account, what's, what does that look like? Or if you're not like, okay, you know, yeah, and just kind of take a look at the situations people are in. They, they do, they feel, they feel bad enough, but I think everybody, you know, makes, decisions that, you know, if they should have done something else, it's, it doesn't matter because that's, you know, it's better to deal with reality, I think. 
Love that. And as we get to the uh, wrap up here, what is maybe something you'd want to impart on the listeners to grow themselves out of this? You know, what advice would another financial service professional listening right now take and say, I could act on that? So one thing I do when I, when I talk to clients is I try to separate the facts from the story because it's very easy to hear the story and buy into all of it and to sympathize and be, you know, try to be a, a friend and understand everything. But I think it's good to see like, okay, maybe the facts are, I still, you know, I lost my job and there could be the story that I might you know, everything went wrong and I didn't deserve this. And this is, you know, but I think it's good to say like, okay, and, and try to try to weed through the rest, listen, and then get back to what's actually real and what is um, a thought or something that's just their, their opinion of what's going on. And then try to stay with them so you can guide them through that to say, okay, this is what I'm hearing. Now, you know, what actions can we take to get to a better result because people can kind of get trapped in their own stories. And I think it's our job as planners and advisors to try to guide them out to a better outcome instead of just, you know, sitting there watching them beat themselves up and then, you know, trying to say, okay, well, I think we should save X dollars. Like you have to, you know, try to, try to remain neutral. If you can. I like that. She's talking about becoming Switzerland. I love it. I love it. And that is a good point because we do kind of get, and I think the other thing too is behavioral. You're good at the behavioral finance part of that. Separating that out is really important for people to understand yeah. that. Um, because our judgments of what it. they did doesn't really matter. And everyone's yeah. going to have one, but it's good to say like, okay, let's see what the, the actual real fact is here. The story, maybe we think, oh, their boss is terrible. Or we think, oh, maybe they, you know, maybe they weren't performing. It doesn't matter. All that matters is really where someone's at and what the facts are and how we can help them maybe think something that will bring them to, to a better result. Yeah. Well, I appreciate this so much. I like to wrap our interviews in a fun way. Mm -hmm. I always have three questions for the okay. guests and you don't get them ahead of time. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. All right. Here we go. So the first one is what bends your mind every time you think about it? What is something that you look at and go, I just can't believe and it can be anything. And I'll go first to give you an example. I still cannot understand how I get off of an airplane and my luggage gets to that thing. Like I don't understand. And it's that that conveyor belt has not changed since 1970 something <laughs> years old. It still shoots out of that thing. I, I promise you, St. Louis Airport has never changed that. And I'm, my mind bends every time I think, I just got off the plane 15 minutes ago. My luggage is already here. That is amazing. So yeah, no, I think one of the things that I think of it might relate to airlines too is sometimes just air travel in general where I've been on the middle of a flight and just thought like I am in a metal container like bolting through and I, I, I mean I try not to think about it but I think I saw like a it might have been like Conan O'Brien or something had like a tweet about like you're in a flying can like don't complain if somebody didn't give your beverage service or something like that oh so I know that whole thought is just I, I used to fly all the time and and spend some time doing audit and then but every once in a while that would just hit me like oh god like <laughs> this isn't right <laughs> isn't that funny i remember one time i went to jamaica and they were the plane and you get excited if you're going away oh, yeah. you want to get on the plane and it kept you know there was a lag and a lag and finally i went right up and i tend to be a little bit bolder i'm like what, what is the hold up here 
Mm-hmm. Well, we're waiting for the food, you know, for the, the, little, yeah. the little meal bags. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and said, how many of you are so hell-bent <laughs> that you have to wait for this meal bag? Can we all go to Jamaica? Yeah. They're like, let's go, go. So everybody, they gave them 15 minutes to go get all their food at the stores. We all got on the plane and off to Jamaica and all they needed was a leader that said, let's hit it. Yeah, because you're just like, what is going on here? Yeah, I know. Chicken in three hours. Like just (laughs) let's get on the plane. Let's just go. Let's go. If you could add four hours to your day, what would you spend them doing? I would probably spend, let's probably spend some more time reading. I think that there's a few, you know. I, I do a little, I, I can't say that there's anything that I don't do. I just probably cut a lot of things I like to do short <laughs> to get to the I don't camp. Process. I can say that very clearly. I don't camp. Yeah, no. no I think, I'm uh, not spending of that. Yeah, no, I would probably, I'd probably read the books that I've got that I buy. Every time someone recommends one to me, it's in my cart. <laughs> right, I know. And I, I am, I'm a huge reader too. I, I yeah. read tons and tons of material yeah. and I would probably do more of that. And I honestly think I can say I would probably be a better exerciser because I feel Mm -hmm. like my days are so compact with things I got to get done that taking care of Cheryl tends to always be a little bit lower on that. Yeah, if I don't get my exercise done like before the kids wake up, it usually doesn't happen. It happened. I've added the four hours of my day, like sadly, (laughs) to the front end of it. But I'd love to say I have little kids to blame. I don't. I might get. I'd sleep. Read me, it's me. How about this? What restaurant do you eat at most? Wait, I'm sorry, which what? What restaurant do you like to eat at the most? Ooh, I um, let's see, we we have a couple local restaurants, but I think of the um, I actually got the family meal at the the Texas Roadhouse the other day, and they have the cheeseburger sliders, and they give you like tons of rolls with like the cinnamon butter and the bags of salad, and like. We had leftovers for days and that I heard the CEO gave up his salary so his all his employees could get paid. And so I was like, this was delicious. So that was kind of a, a, a treat that we had. So oh, Isn't that, that funny. And I, in my, my love of roadhouse is that uh, last year, yeah, it was last year, Daryl had come home. Uh, he used to be a, a you know, physical therapist and he'd come home from work and it was Valentine's Day. And he, uh, he said, hey, I'm taking you out. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I just put a pair of jeans and a t-shirt on. I'm, and he goes in and gets a shower. And, all, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I walked in and I go, well, are we just going to the roadhouse? He goes, I'm not taking my girl to the roadhouse. He goes, I love you that you think that. But no. So that is one of our, we're Waffle Housers. Oh, we don't have that in the Northeast as much. Yeah, it's when I would literally travel, a block and a half from yeah, us. Yeah, when I would travel for work and have to go to different states and cities, that was a pretty, that was a, that was a good bet. <laughs> if Tyrone Ross, you're listening to this Waffle House, <laughs> that's it, dude, that's it. All right, so we are going to make sure we provide a link for all the ways to reach in, uh, you and connect. You are, you know, just not just an incredible financial advisor, but I just want everyone to know that you're such an asset to our community. I'm grateful that you're part of our Boston region and just, thank I you. think you need to write a book. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> Put it on the radar. You can get you it. No, it's on, it's on the list. It's on the things to do list. I have a, I have like this, my notes section of my phone looks crazy of all the, the ideas and chapters. One day I'll I sit write. down and write them out. But. Our, oh, one day. I wish Andre Fraser were here and that she'd be like, no, I know. Mm-hmm. No, she, she, I got like, Get on it. Get on it. Set a so. schedule. Maybe I'll maybe I'll write a page a day. That's <laughs> it. That's it. Eventually so 
I appreciate that so much. And listeners, thank you for listening to today's episode of The F Word. You can learn more about today's guest and the topics that we covered by visiting the links that we provide on the episode page. If you love today's podcast, I know that you did. We want you to subscribe. Don't keep it a secret. Please put hashtag females and finance in your post so that we can engage with you as well. And we always want you to remember The F Word. It is where females and finance are not dirty words. Thank you so much for listening.